Today is one of my favorite humans, Jimmy Moore of Living La Viva Low Carb. When I first turned paleo and started cutting grains and learning about dairy and all that stuff, uh, he was just one of the first people. It was Rob Wolf's book that got me to learn about some food and then dive into this career of nutritional therapy and personal training, all that stuff. And then it was Jimmy Moore that was kind of the first voice. He had so much content. I mean, this guy has been doing this for years. So it was so fun to talk to him about what he thinks about this now that keto is all of a sudden popular. This guy is the grandfather of keto, you know? And so it just, um, I think you're going to really love this conversation. The nicest human just always brightens up my day when I see him at events. He's just so great to be around a good energy, which you guys will immediately know. And all of his stuff, just go get on his podcast. He has podcast galore. He's been doing it for years. He has books, um, the keto clarity, the cholesterol clarity. There's so many things that we get to talk about and you will love hearing from him. If you're interested in high fat diets or keto or just kind of the fat of keto, you don't want to do it, but you want to understand it. We talk about, um, exogenous ketones. We talk about just so much good stuff. Uh, I think you're going to really love it because I had a lot of fun filming it. So what else is happening in my life? Everything. Uh, I think I'm just going to say it here because you were the first to know I woke up this morning. It's Wednesday morning, 7 AM. And I had a gym lease in my inbox. <laughs> so I'm going to open a gym. Uh, I can't believe I'm announcing it this way, but fuck it. <laughs> I am not really, I wasn't expecting it. I knew when the time was right, I would do it. And the universe said the time is right. And I have a great team of support. It's not just going to be me running this gym. Uh, although I am well aware of the work that it takes, but I can't wait. It'll be in Denver. And we're also going to launch an online program similar to the build and strength programs that we do, um, on emilystrom.com so that you guys can stay strong with us every single month, new programming. How rad. Okay, details coming soon. Enjoy this. The other announcement, I've been holding off on posting this podcast because I thought my body awareness project would be ready. If it's not ready as you listen to this, just try www.thebodyawarenessproject.com. Um, I'm pretty sure by the time I get this plugged in, it'll be ready to rock. But basically what I've been doing for three months, gathering information, interviewing people, and finding the best products possible that will have an immediate effect on your skin. And so I picked products that are for everything, not just for acne, but really the focus of clearing acne, getting rid of scarring, talking to herbalists, estheticians, uh, Diane Sanfilippo, Liz Wolf, Paleo OMG. I have nine incredible guests in this program, and I am so thrilled to finally launch it. So just in case www.thebodyawarenessproject.com. You guys are incredible. Enjoy Jimmy Moore. I'll see you guys soon. <laughs> I'm Emily Schramm, the ultimate meathead hippie. Welcome to the show.
Yay, Jimmy Moore. I'm so glad that you're on my podcast this time. Emily uh, Schramm in the flesh. I feel like you're like the keto godfather. <laughs> I have been talking about it a very long time. You have. And I can't wait to get into your story and how you started. And I know you, I mean, the things that you've put out for so many years, it's just such high quality. You're one of my first to refer to when it comes to just even like the what the health rebuttal that you did. Just You just put out such great content and you have for so long. But I just love talking with you. You're such a great human. So this is Thank really you. fun. It's mutually uh, respect here. Yeah. You've <laughs> done some amazing work as well. Yay. Well, I'm just really uh, excited to catch up with you. First off, what have you been up to the last couple months? Oh my goodness, it's never ending. I mean, we started two new podcasts. I'm writing three new books in 2018, uh, besides Keto Clarity and Complete Guide to Fasting. You like the little... I do. That was perfect. Just so you guys know, if you can't see, he has it on his left shoulder and on his right shoulder. It's like little <laughs> the angels. That's so cool. I love it. And for you, was your first book this one right here, Keto Clarity? No, it, it actually was Cholesterol Clarity because when uh, Victory Belt Publishing came to me in 2012, we love your platform on your podcast. You want to write books? And I'm like, gee, let me think about it. Yes. Um, <laughs> And I had self-published a couple of books and they're like, what do you want to write about? And this was in 2012. And I said, ketogenic diets, it's the next big thing. You think paleo, and they were a paleo publisher at the time. And I said, yeah, paleo has been good. But I said, there's going to be a segment of people in paleo that will break off um, and do this thing called ketogenic. And they're like, well, that's kind of a niche of a niche. We don't really know that there's going to be that much interest in it. And I said, you are so wrong. But so they're like, what else do you want to write about? I said, well, the cholesterol thing has always been on my mind. So I wrote Cholesterol Clarity first, and it did okay. And I said, can I please write the keto book? That's my passion. Yeah. And they're like, okay, but we still don't think it's going to do very well. And in the first week, Emily, it sold more copies in one week than the Cholesterol Clarity book had done the whole first year. Holy cow. I mean, it's true. It's keto, keto, keto right now. You called it. And I, um, four I'm years just, ago <laughs> four, and that's so, it's just so, you know, I'm curious your thoughts as this keto, um, it's an amazing wave of people getting used to it, but I would like to get into some of the common flaws that you see and some of oh, the misconceptions. Yeah. Cause it's, you know, just like anything it's butchered, it's ruined. It's like, you know, Ugh, it turns into something that's so not what it should be. And I just am really excited to dig into that with you. For well, we you saw it with the paleo world where people started defining what they thought paleo meant, mm -hmm. which, you know, at the end of the day, paleo for me, and I consider myself kind of primalio ketogenic. So I eat real food. That's the paleo. I still have a little bit of dairy in there. That's the primal. And then of course, keto for keto. But we saw the same thing in, in there where companies started popping up and, well, this is paleo or paleo friendly. And it, it was like loaded with sugar and loaded with you know, excessive carbohydrates. And so, so people are like, okay, well, still paleo if you do a higher carb paleo. And so the reason I like keto so much better, Emily, is there ain't no mistaking what it is. It's a yeah. low carb, moderate protein, high fat diet. That is the definition. Now, there's a sliding scale of all of those macronutrients mm -hmm. uh, depending on the individual, but at the end of the day, that's what it is. And it's kind of amazing too with keto because there's very tangible evidences or evidence of am I in keto or am I not? And you can't yeah. do that with paleo. You can only go by, okay, I think I feel better. But then 
thinking you feel better can sometimes be misconstrued with, I should be feeling better. And everyone said I'd feel better. So I'm just going to kind of go through it and they stick with something that just doesn't work for them. Or maybe you're feeling better because you're sleeping better. Maybe you're feeling better because you start, you got an MFIT and you started exercising and started feeling better. You like that little plug I gave you? I do. I like it. (laughs) It's a marketing in me. Sorry. And then, uh, you know, maybe. Be they they uh, got their stress under control, started taking a yoga class or any number of things that made them feel better. Uh, but better is subjective as well. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. can you have quantifiable numbers? So as you were alluding to, there's so many ways to test your blood sugar, test your blood and breath ketones now. Uh, the technology is pretty cool. I, uh, when I wrote this book, I had just finished my experiment of it and I was just fascinated by how people were so enthralled by me sitting there pricking my finger two, three, sometimes 15, 20 times a day, you know, testing all these biomarkers. But it kind of, it kind of also was a um, uh, forebearer to the whole, you know, quantitative self movement that's out there now and the Dave Asprey spending hundreds of thousands of dollars and all these little contraptions and yeah, I, I'm I'm about as geeky. Although I'm a I'm the poor man's version of Dave Dave Asprey. I don't which, spend that much money. Which is why we love you because so are we, right? So it's like, and it, I want to talk about this new um, ketone monitor that you have. And I also just let's start first off for people. There's going to be two types of people: the people that love that stuff. They want to see their blood ketones. They want yeah. to know. They want to biohack their body. And That's then right. there's, there's the people that are like, I don't have time for that. Just I'm not tell me what that. to eat. Yeah. Tell me what to eat. So yeah. I think what are the benefits? Like if they are tracking, if they are touching um, the ketone monitor, seeing their blood, what is an ideal number for somebody to, if they truly are experiencing the benefits of a ketogenic diet, what are you looking for with somebody? You know, at the end of the day, and the longer I've done this, Emily, the more I've come to the conclusion of of how you feel matters most. Now, yes, you can quantify it. You can see numbers. The problem is early on when you first start testing, you're going to have higher levels, which is cool. And everybody goes, oh, my gosh, I got 3.7. I got 4.0. I got all these really high numbers and their blood sugar starts to come down and they feel the effects of that. But then over time, and I noticed this myself, I had those higher numbers. I think the highest I ever got was like 7.6 or something like that. But it was real early on. I think the body goes, what in the world are you putting in my body? And so it's kind of this balance that has to happen over time. And then once you get adapted, then your body's like, oh, well, let's shuttle some up to the brain. Let's shuttle some over to the heart. And so it starts efficiently using those ketones so that the goal is not to show ketones in the blood, but to actually have them working for you. And the way you know they're working for you is how you feel. I love that. And feeling, I mean, I think it's kind of like this, uh, uh, the energy level is probably number one, this brain yes. fog that lifts where it's like, I'm, I'm, it's almost like they constantly are thinking of food and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, I haven't even thought about food. I feel great. right. Um, what are other signs? I think that somebody is a fat burner. Um, I always Those go to. Stabilized yeah, like, mood is a huge one. Mm. Uh, my wife, Christine, will tell you, I used to be a hangry boy uh, when I was eating all the crappy garbage, as I call it. And she's like, you're just so chill now. I'm like, yeah, I don't really need to get upset about anything. And I, I truly believe it's the ketones. I love the what the research is saying about keto, ketones, the ketogenic diet for mental health. It's yes. I'm trying to, you probably know, is there, um, what's like a quick link study or something that you recently have learned about that those two together? 
Oh my goodness, there's so much. And, and we put 186 references in the back of Keto Clarity, but even since we wrote this book, um, there's a ton of research out there. I'll tell you who's really um, highlighting that, and you can check out Dr. David Perlmutter's work. Mm-hmm. So go look up Dr. David Perlmutter, and on his website, he has every ketogenic brain health study known to mankind there, uh, mm-hmm. if you want to geek out on all this. It's so, I want to know your story. How did you first find this? Because I know you've been in it for so long, but I don't know if I've ever really asked you about your journey to this point or like at least the beginning stages, 2012, maybe a little bit before that. I would love to hear it. So uh, for people that aren't familiar with my original story, it was the Atkins diet that got me into low carb. I was on a crappy garbage diet until the age of 32. Mother-in-law gave me a diet book for Christmas. Anybody else's mother-in-law give you a diet book for Christmas? Gee, thanks, mom. Uh, But I was on a one-way ticket to an early grave, Emily. I I truly believe I would be dead today. And I won't say that lightly. I truly believe with my genetics and and family history, I would be dead. And Mm -hmm. thankfully, I'm not. And thankfully, I'm able to be out here, you know, hopefully changing the world. So uh, I started on the Atkins diet after reading that book from my mother-in-law, and it totally radically changed my life, came off of three prescription medications and lost 180 pounds. But I tell people, you know, and it, it started New Year's Day, so it was New Year's resolution to start. I tell people, though, that I, I did it to lose weight to begin with, but now my motivation is to be healthy and if, if I never got any other benefits other than the brain health benefits of doing this, that's the only reason I'd ever do it for the rest of my life. Uh, so how did keto come into the picture? So paleo came along around 2010, 2009. I read Mark Sisson's book. I had him on my, the Live and La Vida Low Carb show and then Rob Wolf in 2010. And so I got into the paleo and switched over to more real food. Um, and so it's kind of just been this evolution of things. And in 2011, I wrote, uh, read a book called The Art and Science of Low-Carbohydrate Performance, the Bullock and Finney book. And of course, you know, you're smiling because it's an exercise performance book. And I thought, okay, you know, I, I want to geek out. I'm not really uh, a huge exerciser like that. But I've let's seen see. You, I've seen you flip some tires. I got my tire in the backyard over here. So <laughs> yeah, I, I need to get back to that when I'm feeling better. I got a little cold right now. But yeah, so I, I read that book and in the middle of it, they talked about measuring for blood ketones. And I was thinking, blood ketones, what is that? A ketones to me was peeing on a stick and turning pink to purple. Mm-hmm. And they say, oh yeah, it's a very expensive little meter. And so I look it up and I go, okay. Um, I want to test this keto thing. First time I tested Emily, I had a 0.3, which is below that level of nutritional ketosis. And I'm going, here I am low carb, but not ketogenic. And people think if you just eat low carb, you are ketogenic. Uh -uh. Uh-uh. Had to moderate the protein. And we can get into the reasons why protein can be glycolytic and, and yeah. So I started testing and I said, okay, let's do an open experiment. And that's how I got into it. And of course, I tell the whole story about that experiment and Keto Clarity. Uh, but that's kind of the genesis of it all. And then, of course, you know, once Keto Clarity took off and I started learning even more and getting to speak about this around the world, uh, it's pretty neat. And, and I'm about to come out with a brand new book that's going to kind of take the concepts of Keto Clarity to the next level. It's called Keto Cure. And uh, that's coming in late February. Oh, it's going to do so well because it's true that keto is a cure for so many different things. Um, I, first off, want to be inspired and may, I, I need your book writing skills to, 
<laughs> it's on. It's been on the list for so long. I need to just do it, and I just. You and I are going to talk off air because I think we can we can make magic <sighs> together if you if you want to make that a reality. I do. I really do. That would be so great. Okay, let's let's, let's talk about the protein piece. Um, yes, because I do know you know for somebody that truly wants to be ketogenic, they're most likely coming off of a high paleo diet, or they are used to working out and getting one gram per pound of lean muscle mass. And this is why for people that do true keto, I kind of prefer it because it's nice to not have to worry so much about grams of protein as someone that has always, that is the message I preach as a trainer, as fitness for muscle growth, you know, talk about the, how that works in the body that you don't actually need as much protein and it can actually affect the ketones produced if you do have too much. So here's the thing, especially for people like yourself, or you were trained, you know, protein is good and it is very good. It's an essential macronutrient in the body. Without protein, you would die. So you actually need protein. But the thing is people, especially in the exercise world, they, they hype up protein too much. You know, not everybody is an Emily Schramm that's, you know, going at it in the gym and throwing medicine balls up in the air and doing the burpees and doing all that stuff. If you're like that, maybe you can get away with a little more protein and you're a lot less insulin resistant. But for someone like myself who is insulin resistant, is dealing with kind of blood sugar dysregulation, you got to, you know, cut down on the things that will raise blood sugar. So it's obvious carbohydrate is the first thing that does that. But because of this big, long G word, gluconeogenesis, you have to actually moderate down on the protein as well. So if you eat protein beyond what your body can use, which it's not that much, people think, oh, I need gobs and gobs of protein. Uh Uh-uh. It's actually uh, a lot less than you think it is. So I'm six foot three. I'm a big boy. You've met me in person. I'm a big boy. And I have maybe 80 to 100 grams of protein in a day, which to you know, a train, a personal trainer, they went, Oh man, oh bro, you need to double that. <laughs> no, I don't because you, you like my uh, in- imitation I of, do. I do. Hey, bro, you need to double that. <laughs> so, uh, is that what I sound like to me? <laughs> no, I'm talking about the, 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 the meathead guys, not, not the, not the meathead chick on this podcast. You, so. <laughs> <laughs> you would kill me in the gym. So, um, so yeah, gluconeogenesis. So the body can't store protein. So it has to store it into a usable source of energy. And so it goes through the liver and converts to glucose. So if you're trying to be ketogenic and burning fat for fuel and you're cutting down your carbs, but you're having chicken breasts coming out the yin yang, um, you're not going to be ketogenic. You'll be low carb, but you won't be ketogenic. Mm. And I want to talk to you about um, the your thoughts, just personally, your thoughts on people that are more active and the carb levels for them and doing, you know, I know cyclical ketosis can work for some people, but if somebody wants the benefits of being fat adapted, but they are doing anaerobic exercise or CrossFit, what what is your stance on that? Oh my gosh, you CrossFitters and and the people watching this, I hate you (laughs) because you can eat more carbs, you can have more protein. And the reason is, you're burning through all that glycogen store. You're burning through the glucose that you're consuming in your diet. So if you want a half a sweet potato before you go work out in that really glycolytically demanding exercise, yeah, you're going to be able to do that because you're going to burn right through it and still be, and I hate you again, and <laughs> in 
ketosis when you're done with that. Um, you know, and I, I do think the level of insulin resistance matters here, Emily. So mm -hmm. if someone is insulin resistant and they're trying to do a really glycolytically demanding exercise, you probably need to titrate back even a little more. But if someone's relatively insulin sensitive and they get that burst of energy, uh, I, I know a lot of endurance athletes that I've talked to uh, talk about having, you know, kind of loading up on a carb the day of the race because then they have that fuel that they burn through. But then the rest of the race is all fat. And they're burning mm -hmm. the fat and ketones. And so at the end of the race, they test their blood ketones and it's 3.4. Isn't that incredible? <laughs> it was fun when we did the low carb veil event. Um, I can't remember. Was it? It wasn't Steve. It wasn't Dr. Finney, was it? Talking think, about glucose being basically a PED. I think it might have been Dr. Volick. Was Jeff Volick oh, there? Yep. It was Dr. Volick. Yeah. I, um, yeah. I, uh, I'm going to stop my video just so that I have more bandwidth. I think my internet's kind of sucking on you. It's kind of um, blinking. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Hopefully that helps a little bit. Hey, mom. <laughs> um, yeah. I think it's really interesting how glucose and carbohydrates can be used for, for people as a PED, right? So like as a, something that is such a performance enhancing, almost a performance enhancing drug, because that's how powerful it can be. Yeah. Used in the for the right audience or for the right person. Will you t will you um, go back a little bit? We jumped into the insulin resistance piece. You said you have to be careful with insulin resistance. I there are so many people with insulin resistance, and I would love to know your telltale signs of okay, insulin resistance exists. Um, how to know how to know if somebody has it? You know, I have a couple of my signs and symptoms, but from your perspective, what, how does someone know? Do I have insulin issues? Oh my goodness. I mean, and it's going to vary from person to person. I, I will tell you, if you have abnormal blood sugars, that's a huge sign that you're ha you have insulin resistance. So normal is between 60 and 100. And if you have you know, 127, you're already in the diabetes range if that's a fasting number. Um, you know, if you have abdominal obesity, that's a telltale sign. But not everybody that has insulin resistance has it show up on their body. Uh, I'm kind of glad it does on me because, hey, I can do something about it. There's far too many people out there walking around that they don't have obesity on their body or the, the obviousness of it, and they think they're okay simply because they're thin. Your thinness does not mean you are healthy. I hope people hear that loud and clear. Mm. Um, elevated insulin levels as well um, is a huge factor that needs to be ideally under five, but some people are seeing it go 15, 20, 25. That's insulin resistance. And I just think it's kind of this progressive thing that if it gets harder and harder to lose weight, you're probably insulin resistant. Uh, and the, the way that you stoke it is you keep eating those crappy carbs that I keep talking about. <laughs> and, it, and I'm not even talking about, you know, Twinkies and Ding Dongs and Coca-Cola. Even sometimes those real food-based carbs can be problematic. So if you eat a sweet potato and you see your postprandial, one-hour postprandial blood sugar go from like 90 to 170, guess what? That ain't a good response. And that's a clear sign. That's very abnormal. You should be able to eat a sweet potato under an insulin sensitive uh, auspice and see that blood sugar go to maybe 120, 125, and then back down to 90 within two hours. Mm -hmm. If it goes up to 170 and it stays up two hours, you're insulin resistant. And so there's so many signs, but those are just a few. That's perfect. I would like to talk about your maybe your priority of testing for biohacking yourself. So, you know, for somebody that's brand new to this and never have 
touched a blood glucose monitor or a ketone monitor, um, what's kind of the sequence that you would say, okay, if you want to start understanding your body and the science and the hormones and that, you know, where you are with insulin and glucose here, and then if you want to take it the next step, go here, uh, what would be your hierarchy? Can can I talk about what not to use first? Because this is a huge one. Take that scale get a sledgehammer because this is a good workout and beat the hell out of that thing because (laughs) it is so useless. In fact, uh, Emily, I don't know if you know about this, but there's a company that just sent me one. You're probably going to see it somewhere, but they sent me a scale that has no numbers on it. So you step on it and it, and it gives you a readout on your phone. That's not a number, but a, okay, last time you were a little bit, um, you know, more, more than this. And now you're a little bit less great job. Keep those things going. And it gives you a lifestyle habit to continue those improvements. And if you go the other direction, it says, all right, well, let's tighten up a little bit more. You're probably doing great. So it's a reinforcement rather than a negative tool. So oh, I love that. those kinds of things, I'll tell you about it off the air uh, when we're done. But uh, yeah, there's so many great tools, but get rid of the freaking scale. It's a lying liar that lies. Can you tell I'm a little passionate about the yeah. scale? Has it, has that been emotional for you? Like just throughout your, I mean, you've had such an incredible, incredible weight loss journey. Do you, and everyone's going to relate to this because we all have it, but it's so yeah. nice to hear a guy talk about it, you know, cause they don't talk about it enough and um, how, no matter who you are, no matter where you are in your career or your, your industry, that number will always psychologically affect you. And I think that you could be on top of the world and you know, feel so strong, get on the scale and it just starts easing into your subconscious in a way that can just totally deflate somebody so quickly. So honestly, I, I have never had that issue, but I've heard especially women write to me again and again and again over the years and talking about, you know, my blood sugar's down, my, my inflammation markers are all down and everything's coming in line. I feel great. I got energy, but I've only lost two pounds in the last three weeks. Mm. And I mean, when you get those, and I know you get them a lot as well, you get those kind of emails, it starts to wear on you of, oh my gosh, why are we so freaking obsessed about what our weight is? Um, You know, I'd much rather see someone who has extra weight on their body, who is doing all the right things in their nutrition and their fitness and and pursuing health. I I think sometimes because of shows like The Biggest Loser, and don't get me started on that show and other similar kinds of shows, I think because of that um, imagery that we have of this scale and everything about yourself is predicated on what that number on that scale says, I I think we've got this skewed view of what health really is because people view weight loss as health gain and uh uh-uh, you can have health gain and you should have health gain and weight loss might be a side effect of that but not for everybody and I and I want to encourage people about that I I do have a contract to write a book about this someday we're putting it on the back burner while keto's hot but weight loss white lies I want to talk about all the things that the weight loss industry is doing to lie and deceive people into taking desperate actions to lose weight when what they should be doing is focusing on things to make them gain health. Mm. Oh my gosh. Amen. And I think one thing that I um, would like to address a little bit is, you know, sometimes we're so used to results, right? We want results. We want numbers. And I think that that maybe is why ketogenic and those numbers like glucose testing and ketone testing are helpful because similar to a workout, if I'm just working out to feel fit or to be healthy, 
I, I have no sense of progress. And so mm. that weight becomes that tangible result. That's and right. With the same thing with feeling healthy, if you don't have a tangible number, it's so much harder to wrap your mind around, okay, am I even, there's so much information out there. I'm on overload. Yes. Am I doing, am I on the right path? I just saw that this came out and then this came out and maybe I'm not doing the right thing. And so it almost is a reinforcement to do the testing for somebody that needs some sort of numbers. Yes. If your workouts aren't those numbers, the scale, um, like the weight on the barbell or the time of a workout, maybe the testing could be a really good way for you to kind of track your progress without obsessing over the scale. Just to or if you got a PR in your wad that day and yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. So I think that's just such a great point. And I do think that health comes first, right? About a body in balance it doesn't happen overnight. So when you see the, those numbers change, it's, you know, you stay on that right path, you stay consistent, then the body follows through with that. So, uh, excellent. Back to your point. original question though, because you did ask, what are those quantifiable things? So we've mentioned them already, but the blood sugar, I think everybody and their mama needs to own a blood glucose monitor. It's so easy to get. I, I get one from Walmart, the little rely on brand. It's very inexpensive and you can test and at least see where you stand with that. And if you're not testing, how do you know where you stand with that? And how do you know if you're insulin resistant and and getting the progress that you're looking for? So blood sugar, whether you do anything else, that should be the basis because how the blood sugar goes is how your health is going. Mm -hmm. And do you check, um, I would say fasting glucose and then what you said with the meals, kind of the one, two, three hour post meal? Yeah. And so I think, uh, you know, obviously uh, if you're trying to see how a given food uh, impacts you, you know, I wish I could have sweet potatoes more often, but I just know from that glucose monitor, it's not going to happen. So unless I yeah. just go out and do a, a, you know, hardcore CrossFit workout. And even then I'm still fighting to get the glucose all the way down. So <laughs> as I know it sucks. So it's my lot in life. At least I'm alive. So <laughs> do you think, Jimmy, do you think that's just because of, um, kind of the metabolism that you have based on oh, yeah. your former pre keto life? Oh my gosh. And I didn't describe that, but I used to be 410 pounds and Emily, no lie. I used to drink 16 cans of Coca-Cola a day. Now do the math, 45 grams of high fructose corn syrup sugar in every can times 16. And that was just my liquid calories. Never mind the whole boxes of little Debbie snack cakes and fast food and the list goes on and on. I was, I was a junk food junkie and a half. And so that didn't come without damage. How I never got type two diabetes, I'll never know. But thankfully keto, uh, I guess stemmed the tide of me going that direction, but the insulin resistant tendency tendency was there along with the family genetics, which I, I mentioned at the beginning, but I didn't tell you the manifestation. My brother, Kevin had three heart attacks at the age of 32 and died at 41. Oh. So that was my lot in life. Had I not changed, uh, my, my dad had a heart attack at 48 and another one at 50. And then he had quintuple heart bypass surgery at 54. So I have strong genetic tendencies on the male side of my family. Uh, for heart disease. And here I am 46 and I'd be damned. (laughs) Wow. It ain't going to happen. I love it. What was your moment? Did you have a moment? Was it a gradual series of events that said, this is, I have to do something about this now? Yeah. um, My brother having the three heart attacks in 1999 uh, was the first wake up call, but I went on an ultra low fat diet, Emily, that year, Mm. because that was the default diet for everybody. Whenever you wanted to lose weight and get healthy, you just cut out the fat. So I literally ate zero fat 
And I, I lost a significant amount of weight. It's never been about weight loss for me. Mm-hmm. It's been about how do you sustain it? And for me, obviously, that was not sustainable. And I ended up gaining back all of that weight and then some when I got so hungry, I couldn't take it anymore. And so it was at, it was at that point in 99, after I lost that weight and gained it all back, that I said, you know what, if that's what I have to do to lose weight and get healthy, I'd rather eat whatever the heck I want to eat and be happy for the rest of however much life I have in this world. And that was a dangerous place for me to be in. Yeah. And I had pretty much given up at that point. And thank God my mother-in-law gave me Dr. Atkins's book, or I, again, would not be here today. Hmm. It's so fun. My mom was, um, she also did some Atkins for a while, but uh, what are your thoughts kind of now that you've evolved your ketogenic lifestyle? And it, it, you know, I'm curious your perception of what keto is versus what Atkins is. Yeah, great question. I, I think Dr. Atkins was so much a man way ahead of his time. Um, and, and he was such a rebel. He didn't give a crap what anybody thought about him or his diet. <laughs> I've heard some of the stories from his widow and, and various people that were around him. He was just such a rebel. But in his mind, he was like, I found what works for my patients and now go away. Um, mm-hmm. And so then the studies started coming out thanks to people like Dr. Eric Westman and, and other people. But yeah, the Atkins diet is a low carb, uh, starting at 20 grams, and then eat unlimited fat and protein to satiety. So in Dr. Atkins's mind, he thought, okay, people will make sure that they get plenty of fat uh, to satiate them, and they'll not overeat anything. Um, And so what he didn't realize was our fat phobic society thought, okay, eat unlimited fat and protein. Let's have a chicken breast with broccoli. And that is a great low carb Atkins meal. Uh, Yes, it's low carb. No, it's not ketogenic. So ketogenic puts a fine point on the Atkins diet by saying, look, you have to explicitly get most of your energy calories from fat and then moderate down on the protein and then eat your carbs to your tolerance level. If you do those three things, then you see the results. And like I told you, when I first tested ketones, it was 0.3. I was below that threshold of nutritional ketosis and it just took some fine tuning. And for me, it was, I was overeating the protein. So keto is, is nuanced different than Atkins, um, but different enough that it makes all the difference in the world for most people. Yeah, it's so true. It's, you know, that's probably the biggest mind shift for people is like, okay, great. I cut the carbs and I'm starving, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and that's why I love it. And it's also interesting too, because I have a lot of clients that are like, well, yeah, I could totally do avocado and nuts and butter. And I'm like, okay, what about or they won't say butter, they'll say nut butter. And I'm like, okay, well, what about the other kind, right? Yeah. What, what was your take on the, were you just so furious about the coconut oil fiasco that happened recently? Uh, the, are you are referring you, to the AHA coming out saying it's unhealthy? What are you referring to? Yes, that okay. the, the more recent, yes. The one that, so, yeah, you know. that came yeah. out last year where the, the American Heart Association, basically all they did, Emily, was reiterate their current statement. They made it look like it was a new statement that they were coming out strongly against coconut oil. And no, it was just what they've always believed. And they believe they have this, you know, hardcore belief that saturated fat is the enemy in our health, that it leads to heart disease and and all the rest. And so, no, I, I was not, I didn't blink an eye at it. It's, it's much ado about nothing. What's interesting, uh, Christine went through the Nutritional Therapy Association program last year to become an NTP. Mm-hmm. 
And one of the things uh, that, that we uh, did for her was she had to do a community project. So the community project, I helped her with it. I said, let's go to the farmer's market and let's take a poll uh, of the people that go to a farmer's market of what they think healthy fats are. So we threw coconut oil and butter, and then we threw like margarine and vegetable oils and some other things. And by far, 90% of the people that came by our table said coconut oil was healthy. And this was the week that that, that whole uh, press uh -huh. came out with the AHA statement. So I was shocked that it was that high, but it just gives me hope that maybe people are finally catching on. They get it. They totally get it. Yeah. Uh, what's the, been the biggest shift over, you know, this, I guess maybe what's the biggest flaw that you see that's kind of happening as keto is more and more popularized? What is something that you want to make people, make sure people know if they're interested in the ketogenic diet that, um, that they, it's important for them to understand before jumping into it, or maybe just a mis, misconstrued concept. Is there anything that you see over and over? Well, as with anything, just buyer beware, anything labeled keto. We saw this in paleo. We saw it with Atkins. Once something catches on, there's people that see dollar signs in their eyes and there's nothing wrong with commerce. I'm, I'm a marketer. I make money doing this online. So I'm not against that, but at least be ethical and honest about what you're doing. And, and so beware of those kind of shysters that are out there and only trying to make a buck off the trend and really don't care. So um, I think... I think the real food aspect of keto needs to be underscored because that covers a lot of the sins <laughs> of yeah. what's happening out there. And so um, there are some great companies making incredible products, but uh, people like the F-bomb company that have these little packets of the macadamia nut mixed with some coconut oil. Those are, those are awesome because those are real foods. But if you see a product that has like every ingredient known to mankind, maybe that's not such a good products. So I think buyer beware, just be aware that there are people in it simply to take advantage of you, the consumer that's aware of keto now and not necessarily, you know, have all the ins and outs about keto. So true. Well, talk to me about calories. This is a big one for people. Uh, do you track calories at all? Oh God, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I learned a long time ago um, and, and Jonathan Baylor did a really good book. Uh, look up his name. Uh, he did a really good book of, all about the calorie nonsense uh, that's out there. Um, and and I, I just think at the end of the day, think through it a little bit. You know, I used to eat Twizzlers like they were going out of style. I'd go to a movie theater and I'd get those little twist Twizzlers and I'd twist them around my finger and I'd sit there and eat the whole bag. You know, let's say that number of calories is a thousand. I don't even know how much it is, but it was a lot. Yeah. Uh, and then I go have a thousand calories worth of a steak and some vegetables with a little bit of butter on top. Now, are you trying to tell me that Twizzlers is the exact same thing as that steak and vegetables and healthy fat? I don't think so. I think at the end of the day, calories is the only thing conventional wisdom has left to argue for their position. Because if you look at ketogenic nutrition, it stabilizes inflammation levels. It stabilizes blood sugar and insulin levels. Can you eat uh, a thousand calories of something that will not stabilize your blood sugar and insulin and inflammation levels? You bet your sweet bippy you can. And so that's the difference. I think it's the hormonal effects that matter the most and calories does not take into account quality of food. 
Oh, preach it, Jimmy. Preach I think, it. I, it's you so turned fun. on my buttons today, Emily. <laughs> It's so true that weight loss is so much more about the hormonal response that food we eat gives us than it is about the caloric intake in the food that we eat. And it's just, I love that you said that. It's something that's so hard for people that are new to this to wrap their mind around. So just trust me, keep learning about it. If you're listening, it'll come to you. It'll hit home one day. For you, Jimmy, do you track, um, you probably don't have to because it's so intuitive with do you have a percentage that you have to stay with carbs, proteins, fats? Oh, you are hitting on all my top buttons. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> when I first started, yes, I did. When I did my nutritional ketosis, and this was so funny, Emily, because I was very open uh, doing this experiment where I was eating 85% fat, 12% protein, and 3% carbohydrates. So everybody writing to me was like, okay, I've been eating 85%, 12, 3. I'm like, no, that's, oh. that's Jimmy Moore. You've got to find what's right for you. So in Keto Clarity, you know, we tried to, to firm that up a little better. You know, find your carbohydrate tolerance level. I'm not really a fan of macronutrients because, again, uh, macronutrient ratios, because again, that brings in the calorie aspect. I think if you keep your carbs to a level where your blood sugar stays pretty steady, for me, that's right around 25 to 30 total grams of carbs. We can talk about total and net here in a minute, mm-hmm. but total grams. And then protein, I told you at the beginning is about 80 to 100. On the days that I'm flipping that tire or doing sprints, it's probably closer to 100. Um, and then fat to satiety. So you're, you're having fat, but you're not really counting it. You're letting your body tell you. And I think that's something we've so lost in today's society, forgetting that our body, it, it ain't stupid. It will tell you when you've had enough. You'll throw up before you eat too much fat. Yeah. I love that you said that. I was going to say like, people know, I mean, there's only so much you can eat. And I, what are your thoughts? I did say, I did play around a little bit with gene testing. How yep. Some people get filled up a little bit sooner on fat than others. What are yes. your thoughts? Have you played around with that a little bit? Oh, I've done various ge- genetic testing and I, I did one of these. I forget the name of it. I've done so many over the years, Emily, uh-huh. but it was, it was saying that I'm a very efficient user of fat. Ooh, uh, so that's why I need higher fat. De- definitely those things are all in their infancy stage. So take them for what they're worth. There's not really randomized controlled trials of these things, but they're, they're, you know, good for people that are curious doing the whole biohacking thing, you know, go to your heart's content, spend that few hundred dollars and get it done because maybe you'll find a clue in your health journey. I think it's so important. It's so frustrating. I actually did a nutrition genome is the one that uh, I converted to because 23andMe stopped testing what they should be testing in Uh. August of 2017. And so you could, you used to be able to take, you know, anything before August of 2017, you could take that report and plug it into a software that showed you everything you should know about your body, but then they stopped it, which makes me so upset because, but I mean, there's other companies doing it. So that's why the nutrition genome has been my favorite. And I did a podcast with Alex. So if you guys are interested in learning more, nice. definitely look into it. Um, I think that's so cool. Uh, for you, for keto, you know, for somebody that it, it's kind of like, would you, I, I, this is a silly question, but you are such a guinea pig, right? So what are the things that you, you've tried everything, you've tested everything. I laughed so hard when I watched you take that ketone ester. Oh my goodness. That stuff was nasty. <laughs> Have you ever had the esters? I've heard horror stories and then your fake. Yeah, they're horror you know. stories. All right. Although I had the quote better one. They said, this is the one that tasted good. I'm like, oh, thank God. I didn't try the one that really tasted bad, but, uh, <laughs> 
yeah, I, I'm willing to do pretty much anything on camera. <laughs> I love it. Oh, I can't wait to plug your Instagram. It's just so great. Like, talk to talk to me about the ketone esters for those that might not know, because that was the original exogenous ketone, right? Yes. Well, and they've been used in research labs. Uh, uh, Dr. Richard Veach has been working on those for many years, feeding them to lab rats and 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 doing various tests. So people have heard of exogenous ketones. The various uh, companies out there, some which will remain unnamed, and others that do things the <laughs> right way. And Emily's <laughs> laughing because she knows who's I'm who I'm talking about. So, uh, you know, those will temporarily raise to a certain degree your blood ketone levels. Well, ketone esters are basically exogenous ketones on acid. You know, I, I went from probably 1.0 on the blood ketones within like 30 to 45 minutes up to almost five on the blood what? ketones. So it, it boosts you. And it, what was the funniest thing was it was the weirdest feeling for me, uh, because it was like at a time of day when my circadian rhythm is kicking in, the sun is going down, I was getting kind of sleepy. Well, I did this exogenous uh, uh, ester, ketone ester. Oh my gosh, I was like wide awake. My brain was on overdrive. You know, all those brain health benefits. We talked about the ketones earlier. It was on overdrive. It was a little too much for me. Uh, the guy said, well, you're a big boy. I want to make sure you get enough to feel the effect. I felt the effect. So <laughs> I, I probably could have done half of it and still gotten a pretty good boost in the ketones. But uh, yeah, it's, it's neat that all of these things are out there. And I don't think people need to do it in lieu of a ketogenic diet, but as an adjunct, you know, I could see if I was still in college taking something like that in the appropriate amount, of course, uh, prior to going to do a, an exam um, wow. so that your brain is fueled efficiently so you can succeed and have all that memory recall that you need. Um, and, and, you know, I do a lot of podcasts. I do podcasts five days a week and so, and plus bonus ones like yours today. So I have to always kind of be on in my brain health. And so, yeah, I could see where those could be really strategic for Navy SEALs. I know they're looking at ketone esters and exogenous ketones for them. Um, so yeah, I think for the right person at the right moment, they're very uh, critical to, uh, to get the results you're looking for. It's it's so interesting how they just taste so bad. I'm curious. Like I so want to try it just to see when you are when you hit two to four um, keto on the ketone blood ketone test. What yep. are the signs of like oh I'm in it? Like I've been so curious about. I've never hit high levels of like nowhere near over three. I would always be. I need to figure out what that feels like. But what are fast? The, if you fast, you will. I, oh, so then maybe I just need a test at the right time then. Yeah, so I, I would say, because um, I've done many a fast uh, when I was writing The Complete Guide to Fasting with Dr. Jason Fong. I said, you know, let me try some of these longer fasts. So I've done several now 21-day fast, and by about day uh, 8, 9, 10, I can see levels of blood ketones easily go 5. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, now you may not want to do that because you have a hardcore workout schedule. Uh, I wouldn't recommend working out like Emily Schramm does and fast for that long, but, <laughs> but as a biohacker, maybe someday you'll give it a go and let your uh, exercise Let's routine that week or whatever. So Yeah, I do need to try it. Well, what's your? do you have any tests, uh, guinea pig tests coming up that you want to try? You know, there's always things I, I like trying. Um, you know, at, at the given time, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm always tinkering because of the continued insulin resistance. And, and I love that I can be relatable to people. They're like, hey, he looks like me. 
rather than, you know, some perfect fitness model. Um, and I, I rail on this all the time that there, there's people on Instagram and people on various social media that they pretend like, oh, well, just do what I do and you'll look just like me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's unreasonable for a lot of people. And so I'm always tinkering and testing things. I, I thought about doing a high uh, protein keto, quote unquote keto, because there's so many people out there pushing that so hard, especially in the bodybuilding world. Yeah. There's a whole group out there, you know, pushing that. And I thought, okay, well, let me show you what happens in a effed up person, <laughs> metabolism person when you do that. Um, I will tell you one that's got me really excited and I've got a potential book out of this as well. Um, <laughs> of course is, you do. <laughs> is a vegan keto. Oh yeah, of course there's a book out of it. A vegan keto um, approach. And so oh, wow. I've been talking with uh, this lady that does a ketogenic diet in the auspice of veganism. And so I thought, you know, how cool would it be for me to kind of do this as an N equals one experiment? So that could be coming sometime in 2018. We're still talking through it all, how that would work, you know, where my protein would come from, yada, yada. So oh, God. I would miss butter and ghee so much. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. That'd be so hard. Yeah, but I can't wait. To... would be my friend. That's for sure. Oh, for sure. Well, this is, tell everybody, I know we talked about the books, but talk about the books again, the next book coming out. You said you have two new podcasts? Yeah, so I have uh, Monday through Friday. So the two ones, two new ones are on Monday and Friday. Monday is with my wife, Christine, who is an NTP now. So we're doing a, a show all about uh, the various pearls that she learned, clinical pearls in her uh, teaching. And so we kind of take a subject each week. So we've covered digestion, we've covered water, we've covered fats and blood sugar, and we're just going to kind of continue down that path. Nutritionalpearlspodcast.com is that website. I love that. I love that she went through in TA. That's so awesome. She did. They offered it to me, Emily, and I'm like, really? I do podcasts every day. I have three new books. I don't have time for that, but can my <laughs> wife do it? And they're like, absolutely. That's so, so yeah, cool. I'm very proud of her. She, she, uh, she knows more about some of this stuff than even I do. And I've done it for a long time now. Oh, that's awesome. I'll definitely listen in on that. So then Tuesdays and Wednesdays is my flagship, the Live in La Vida Low Carb Show. Uh, so I've been doing that now 1,370 plus episodes. It's the longest running health podcast on the internet. It's amazing. And God knows why it's still out there. I'm just kidding. Because you're awesome. And I need to, <laughs> and I've been on your, I don't remember what number I was, but I was on it forever ago. It was actually like right when my Kickstarter launched, probably about two years ago for the MPAC. It was very soon in that same time frame. So I'll make sure I pull that episode up and get it on the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. We got to get you back on. Oh, I love that. Talk yeah. Talk about what you're up to now. And then, um, and then Thursday, I do a show called Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Will Cole. So if you like ketogenic diets and want to hear answers to popular questions. Uh, Dr. Cole is a functional medicine guy out of Pittsburgh who uses keto with his patients. So we answer those questions and kind of rant about the health headlines that are out there. And then Friday is the brand new, uh, the other brand new podcast. It's just a non-nutrition related because, uh, you know, sometimes Emily, people see you know, those of us out here on, in the online world, I know you get it all the time. All you ever do is fitness and health, right, Emily? And I'm, <laughs> no, there's a lot more to your life than just that. And so we're sometimes, all- sometimes, I'm just kidding. Sometimes, <laughs> well, like, you, got, you got to get away from it. You know, my wife and I were recently on a on a crew, a Star Trek cruise. She's a big Star Trek fan, and so Stop. I tried to get away from it. I thought, okay, I'll get to hide on this cruise. Nobody will know who I am. Five of my followers found me on that cruise. 
I'm like, oh, seriously, of all goodness. the places as a Star Trek crew? <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> but it was fun. I, w- I was gracious. And you do low-carb cruises. So and we that- do do the low-carb cruises in, in May and September this year. We've got to get you on one of those one of these days. I would love that. I've never been on a cruise. I'm, uh, I'm going they have to have a nice gym. They're really nice gyms. Oh, then see, I'm, as long as I have that. and Well, I guess I have my impact. So I'm going on a cruise in Alaska with my mom in June. And there you go. We, it's a tiny little boat. And so we both are bringing our impact only. And we, I can't wait to see the see my mom work out in a on a boat <laughs> with the and you'll love Alaska there's plenty of places to hike around there as well we yeah. did that last year uh this, well Jimmy and then where's Instagram your kind of flagship um home base your website all of that oh I'm all over the place so yes, uh, Instagram you see me on there because that's where you are but I'm also on Twitter and Facebook and uh, all the different podcasts, as we mentioned, and, and of course, still writing the books. Uh, the next book is called The Keto Cure, coming in late February with Dr. Adam Nally. It's going to basically be keto clarity, uh, the, the next logical step. Once you understand keto, you need to know the metabolic pathway as to why keto works. And so we, we talk about that, why, why ketogenic helps with someone that has type 2 diabetes, so forth and mm-hmm. so on. So so that's coming out. And then in April, I'm doing a book that's a little off the beaten path of keto. And not many people talk about it with Meg Dahl. Do you know Meg? Oh my gosh, she was on my podcast and we talked about how much we love you. <laughs> so yeah, I do know Meg. I met her at the NTA conference. Excellent. So she is a registered holistic nutritionist, as you know. And so she and I are doing a book together called Keto Freedom. She came from the world of anorexia. Uh, and me from that crappy garbage diet I used to eat. And so we have uh, a lot of self-love message in there, which is a a huge part. And I I credit Meg for kind of getting my mind right on that aspect of things, uh, because I think that is the missing piece so many people still deal with, especially women that can't love themselves enough to get started. Mm -hmm. So anyway, we're going to talk about that in Keto Freedom. I love Um, it. And then Christine and I are going to write a book together. We're under contract for a book called Real Food Keto that will implore a lot of the principles from the Nutritional Therapy Association teachings, but through the prism of a ketogenic diet that we hope will become a resource for NTPs trying to help their clients that want to do a ketogenic diet. Oh, God, I love how much you have going on. You always are inspiring. And So what book are we doing together? <laughs> I can't wait to tell you. I have the title. I have the premise. And as soon as I hit stop on this, I'm going to tell you all about it. There we go. <laughs> Stay tuned, you guys. Jimmy, thanks again for coming on. I can't wait to share this. You are awesome. Thanks, Emily. <laughs> <laughs>